Hello, everybody. Fitz Nation is back with you after several weeks hiatus. Uh, last episode was with Cub Swanson. When was that? Early September. And uh, we're back with an interview with Alex Morono, UFC welterweight. Uh, find this guy to be very thoughtful. Always have. Haven't called a fight of his in a few years. He's been on some big shows in arenas and stuff. I think he's fought in Texas a few times. Got that home crowd feeling. Um, he's a guy who was overweight in high school. He was a gamer. He was never an athlete. And yet now he's a pro athlete in the UFC. And at one point, um, he's always been very realistic of what he is, what he's not, uh, what he wants to accomplish in the sport. I always found it refreshing because how many guys say, I want to be the best in the world. I want to be the champion, which is great. It's a noble concept. Um, I want to be the greatest to ever do it. But that's kind of a fool's errand in a way, if you think about it. Like, look at Israel Adesanya and John Jones and Habib and Connor and George St. Pierre and all that. They can all lay claim to the fact to be the greatest of all time. But yet, they're never going to be universally crowned that. Nobody ever is. Same with baseball. Like, is Babe Ruth the greatest of all time? Is Barry Bonds the greatest home run hitter of all time? Was he on steroids? So now the real record belongs to judge of the Yankees. It's always a moving goalpost. And so I think it's very valuable to look inward and have your own goals for yourself that you can control. And Alex Morono is a fighter that's always had that. At one point he said, uh, a few years ago, I remember he said, I want to get to 20 fights in the UFC. From coming where I came from, from starting to train where I came from, to be able to say I'm a 20-time UFC veteran, uh, that to me would be a successful career. And I train with Jeff Neal all the time, and Jeff Neal has what it takes to be a champion. I'm not here to be a champion. I'm here to make a career in martial arts. And he's done that. And then in this interview, he kind of one-ups that. It's beyond just 20 fights in the UFC. But I think it speaks to um, a bigger picture. We can all set goals for ourselves. And then when we get there, what's next? My job was taking me to all these different small cities across the U.S. And I said, I just want to cover sports in a major city. I want to cover pro sports. And then in my early 30s, I was able to get a job in Boston, not only a major sports city, but one of the biggest and my home city. And after a year or so, I just thought, okay, well, I made it here. So what's next? There's got to be something more than this. And then I started setting my sights on ESPN where I worked and um, the layoff happened. There's more chapters to the book. You think you want to hit a goal and then all of a sudden you get to the middle of the book and you hit that goal and you said, well, what happens in the rest of this book? Alex Morono is a thoughtful fighter and that's why I wanted to have him on the show. And he's off of a big win over Matthew Semmelsberger recently. Uh, he was an underdog in that fight despite having a, a big edge in experience, and he really showed his grit, his toughness, and his experience and all that. So anyways, we're back with another episode. As always, if you want to watch these interviews, you can do that on UFC Fight Pass. Podcast Central is the platform. Search Fitz Nation on UFC Fight Pass if you'd like to watch. But enjoy this audio version right here and now. It's good to be back. Here's Alex Morono on Fitz Nation. Fitz Nation, let's go. I always had to be mega in the zone, ready to go out there on my shield. Be in the question and don't look for the answer because the answer is the end. Think about who I'm fighting for, fight for something greater. At the end of the day, you got to believe in yourself. 
It's time for the Fitz Nation podcast with your host, Brendan Fitzgerald. How you doing, Alex? Good, good. Just ready to ready to fight again here pretty soon. I'm like just getting off of a sparring session like yeah. 10 minutes ago. All right. I always like to know how fighters uh, react to sparring, think about sparring, because some hate it, but it's part of what they do and some love it. Which one are you? Oh, man, I, uh, the only reason I fight is because I enjoy the psychological uh, exercise of sparring. I mean, it was awesome. I went to a gym called War Training Center, and they got a bunch of pros. Yeah. And uh, so I was in. They got some 85ers and some heavyweights I get to work with. But it was awesome, man. It's fun. I do that every every Thursday. Yeah. So you do sparring, what, like once a week? Um, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at a decent pace. And then, like, technically Monday, Wednesday. Yeah. So you go hard. You, like, put yourself in a fight to to get better at fighting yeah yeah with a primary objective of mitigating damage to my head so mm-hmm. that's, that's now now how would you describe your philosophy overall on on a training basis in terms of how to get better because some people are going away from sparring now oh sorry i'm just turning the mic up um yeah uh if you can like avoid taking damage i think you should spar a lot um this is one of those games it's like doing jujitsu you just gotta, you just gotta like really embrace that grind and just get your reps in over and over and over and over. And uh, so I think it's, you know, guys who have a certain skill set, like I don't know how true it is, but Max Holloway says he doesn't spar, but he's also got a tremendous amount of octagon time. He's been training forever, so I mean, if he's got the skill set, then by all means go for it. But like until I feel like I've effectively mastered the the, the style of striking, which I have not, yeah. keep sparring. Yeah, because. Uh, in the little jujitsu I've done, right, they'll walk you through, and you instruct jujitsu too. Tell me if I'm wrong, but like it's like the technique of the day, and you kind of go through that and the different phases of it, and then at the end, it's like, all right, time to go, right, time to just roll. Yeah. And I find the value in the rolling because I'm never employing the technique the perfect way that we just learned in class. I'm just like, all right, now I'm just gonna hang on for dear life and try to figure it out. Just put put yourself in the fire a little bit. So, yeah, so everyone says, like, once you get your black belt, it's like you've begun your grappling journey. And uh, so, like, when I got my black belt, before I got to the UFC, so seven years ago, but, like, I always have, like, ten different things I'm working on. And then now jiu-jitsu is so popular, there's so many different styles. Like, you have your your, your gi point style, your submission-only style. Now you got the ADCC style. You got, like, your MMA style grappling, which is its own animal. And, like, even, like, the wrestle jitsu. I had a, a guy who had just won the world. It's a black belt. Just won the world. He was in our gym on Tuesday night. Man, he put it on me in the gi, and that style is just so demanding and challenging, but so different, you know, from what we're supposed to do in MMA. And uh, and it's just cool because there's so many different avenues you can train with. There's so many different things to work on, and uh, it's just cool. It's like it's like an, it's like something you could never master, you know. Right. And if you get so good to be like a world champ in the gi, that's just not going to work well towards submission, and that's not going to really work well for for MMA grappling. MMA grappling is fewer options at a significantly higher pace, and you have to be on top. Man, it's tough. Of all the grappling styles, like I was at the ADCC matches live, and seeing those, those the world's best grapplers do their thing was amazing. And then seeing Canelo and Triple G, I wasn't there live, but seeing those guys box at that level was amazing. But then I go to the UFC Apex, and it was that Andre Feely versus uh, Billy Alego. How do you say Bill, Billy Bill Algio. Algeo, that fight yeah. was a crazy fight. Yeah. Those are kind of good everywhere. 
but they're not like masterful grapplers like the ADCC guys or like the boxers. But it just showed me like how MMA is the great equalizer. You can't be that good at one, any one area because that means other areas are lacking. And it was just cool to see how challenging MMA was. And like, like technical skill set aside, you got that guy like uh, Robocop who got kneed in the face. Yes, yeah. It's his face split open and still comes in and wins the fight. I mean, it was just, it was just cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm such a big fan of MMA and I always have been. And like, it was funny, you know, watching the world's best grapplers at ADCC. I was amazing, by the way. But like, and then watching the, the, the Canelo fight, it made me so much more of a fan of MMA just because it truly is like the great equalizer. Yeah. The, the fact that it's like, it gets just raw. It gets nasty. There's just so much more you can do within the rule set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're tough and you have good cardio and it's just everything about it. That Joe Piper, I remember I saw his contender fight, but I got to see him live at the Apex and yeah. I and man, he was, he was cool. He's a cool guy. Yeah. That, that fight night was, was good. Damon Jackson. Yeah. You know, it's Pat Sabatini who was undefeated. Front kicked him in the face. I mean, that yeah. was wild. That was a fun night. I really enjoyed that. So that was a great night. Had you watched a, a, an event at the Apex? I mean, you fought at the Apex, but had you kind like of, watched one? I cornered a bunch. In December, I fought Mickey Gall. My dad and wife was there. Uh-huh. So they actually, let me watch the main card with my dad, which was awesome. So I oh, cool. had experience, but it wasn't the same. But being there as like a fan, especially having a couple teammates fighting on that card. Yeah. Was a was a really fun experience. Like Trevor Giles, he is. A, I train with him. He's one of the guys at War. I train with all the time, and it was really cool to see him catch that win. And then Damon Jackson, just uh, he. I've been watching him fight since his legacy days. And yeah, finisher, and uh, it's cool. I get to train him at Fortis now, but it was really cool seeing him win his fight too. Yes. Was- no, really tough matchup. He was the underdog in it, and it's just the the circumstance surrounding it. I just you know, heart goes out to him and, and like, yeah. his whole family. So uh, I want to go back to the beginning with you, Alex, because I don't have it in my notes, and, and I want to even go before then. But something tells me you were like you were overweight in high school. Is that correct? Yeah, I wish I had some pictures I could show you because I have like oh my a, goodness, junior or freshman, sophomore, junior, and then my senior year picture. I'm like 60 pounds lighter. I cut all my hair off. I had like a big I uh-huh. long hair like Blake from Workaholics and I uh, just cut my hair and got voted most changed. I had, I had kids I had known for like 10 years, didn't recognize them when I came back. Wow. Pretty cool. So, so how would you describe growing up though? From Houston? Yeah, from the spring area. Yeah, how would you describe your early life? Um, It was it was good. I, uh, I, had, I had two older brothers and my parents. Parents always very supportive, always worked hard. They split when I was 10. So, you know, kind of like bounce between like apartments and stuff, but yeah. kind of grounding. Um, always had a good education, which I was very thankful for. When we grew up, it wasn't like the nicest area. And, uh, and, and my dad always saw value in good education. So he actually sent us to private schools. They were far away. It was, it was challenging to commute there. And like, and we had to do like all the financial aid programs and stuff, but it was, it was, it was cool. I really enjoyed my time there. I knew I wouldn't be going to college. Uh, I just knew more schooling wasn't going to be for me. So my junior and senior year, I actually like made an effort to learn as much as I could and I uh, started training in between those years and, and again, and had a blast, but, but always had great support from my brothers and parents. I was just explaining to one of my students that I used to drive from like the 1960 area to the Woodlands area to go train at my first gym ever, which was LA boxing. It was like a 30 minute drive every day before I could drive. Mm-hmm. I always had a lot of great support from my, my parents and my brothers. And, uh, and I, I got them to thank a lot for uh, where I'm now. Now, why did you immediately, because if you asked me, or just knowing you and talking to you, um, 
now and then even in the past, I would have thought you would have gone to college or you did go to college. Yeah. Why, why was it so clear for you at that age that it wasn't something for you? So I started training when I was, I think, 16, and I started working around the same time. So like I learned the value of money. And, uh, and in my school, like I figured out how many credits you needed to graduate. My school didn't offer early release. So like my senior year, literally half of my classes were filler classes, like elective study, study yeah. hall, all that stuff. And I was like wasting time. I was like, man, I could be training or I could be working right now. And I, and I can't, I'm just stuck here. So, uh, so like once I, I got, I graduated, I had my freedom to train. I actually went to South Africa for a year and taught jujitsu when I was 19, visited Brazil, all the money I made work and I would just spend on travel. And, uh, and, and it was cool. I just didn't want to sit in a classroom and, and be lectured anymore. Not where I could go learn on my own. And, uh, and, you know, my dad ran his own business. My brother very successfully runs his own business. I run my own business. Turns out my dad's advice really paid off long-term, but uh, I just kind of liked playing to the beat of my own drum and setting my own schedule. And I get to do that now. What was your dad's advice? Um, he just always said to be your own boss. Uh, he ran a, a pool company for his whole life. He grew up in New York, moved to Texas. I'm not too sure why in the eighties met my mom and, and ran a successful pool company um, ever since. There were some up and downs. Like when they got split, his initial company went under. And then he built up a new one. And that's kind of like where I worked My uh, when I was in high school. And it was doing labor. It was like leveling ground for yeah. swimming pools. So I got to understand the value of money, which was really cool. It just gave us all strong work ethic. And, uh, and, and, and again, he was like, you know, be your own boss. You want to be able to control the finances and your scheduling. And, uh, and it ended up working out that way really well. So, uh, what do you think of college now? Like, what do you think of the system? Depends. If if you want to be like a nurse or a, or or a lawyer or a doctor or or even you know like a, a, like a mechanic, like there's specialty schools, there's trade schools. But like, if you're going out of high school, and you just don't know what to do. Don't waste time, or or I should say, don't waste money at some college. Maybe work and play the field, see what you like. But it just seems like it's a money grab. You know, now granted, I know a lot of kids like enjoy that college experience storing partying and having fun and networking is very important, but it just seems like it's it's like the thing to do if you don't know what to do. Yeah. Just, I don't know. It's kind of a weird system. It's a privileged uh thing. And especially with social media, I feel like it's become even more of the let's go have a good time. And it's we still have this four-year grace period at this age. <laughs> yeah. to kind of f off and just do what we want learn something to go go for a good program but it's like it's it's tricky isn't it it's delicate like a big part of it too was uh you know my uh i had just seen my dad work so hard to to pay our tuition for the private schooling and it wasn't easy to do and like after i was just never going to ask them for money for schooling again like if i was going to go i was going to pay for it but i wasn't going to do that and then i definitely wasn't asked so i saw my how both my parents worked and uh, and I was like always happy to help around, but I just didn't want to ask. Yeah. And, uh, and I wouldn't have enjoyed it anyway. Um, I would have ended up doing the martial arts career no matter what. But, you know, when I was like a pro belt back in like 2012 or whatever, I, yeah. uh, I started like being an assistant coach and I would get, you know, paid to coach classes and then would pick up privates and it all just kind of snowballed from there until I became like the head coach and now the owner. 
Yeah, there's different kind of like personalities. Like I was always the guy that wanted a party, right? I wanted I wanted to go to college to play beer pong. That's what I wanted to go to college to do. And mm-hmm. I knew, I at the very least knew that I wanted to do this. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster on TV, went to a school with a good journalism program, broadcasting, all that. So it set me up, right? But I also went into, stu- I had student loans for a long time, you know, and it's just like, I don't know. There's the, it's got you got to open your mind. I find martial artists so like Joe Lozon. He went and he wouldn't do the party thing, and he used his whatever. It's just it do, the money grab thing is interesting because they are they're for private colleges or for profit businesses, and it doesn't yeah. get focused on a lot. Yeah, for, I, it's funny. I went up to A and I went up to College Station a lot, but just uh-huh. to hang out with your friends, right? Yeah, yeah. I never did any schooling up there, but yeah. Well, I did. Thankfully, you know, I started training when I was a junior in high school. And like I wanted to show up and train hard on Saturdays, so I I never really developed a drinking habit, and uh, and to this day I just I mean like I'll party at a party, but dude I don't think I've been drunk in like four or five years. Yeah, funny I got a really good friend's wedding is this Saturday, and his hit where the reception is like a mile from my house. I live in the woodlands. It actually got rated like the number one city to live in America. Okay, yeah, suburb suburban Houston, really nice. Hey, okay, Yeah. 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 So it's right. So I think I actually may have some fun, especially <laughs> yeah. soon. And like when I'm in camp, I break no rules. I, I, I live that fight life as thoroughly as a human could. So yeah, it was down. I wouldn't mind having the fun. No, I stopped drinking in 2020. Like, I mean, I had a handful of drinks in 2020. I just so happened to stop early in the year. And then the pandemic struck. And I was like, that was probably a good thing that I curtailed it because other people went the other way, oh, you know? Yeah. A lot of a lot of time with nothing to do. And uh yeah, like I'm just the most unlikely kind of sober person now based on who I used to be. Um, I ask you, what is an experience you think from your teenage years that dictated who you became? Or like could could you put your finger on like why you had the mindset and the the martial artist attitude and all these things and to affect the person that you are now? Man, I know I really just enjoyed the training more than anything, like the psychological exercise of jujitsu, but also sparring, you know, hitting, you know, you know, landing shots and not getting hit back. That was just that I, I it was like I could never satisfy that uh that that urge or that craving for for again, like that exercise for that like mental stimulus. And even when I first started training at a gym called LA Box. It's like a almost like a cardio boxing gym, but thankfully, shout out to Antonio Flores. He had like a couple of MMA fights and he had done some boxing matches. He was like a pretty gritty, like he was in the Marines, and then he started coaching. So like he kind of took me under his wing. So I got to see like the the more challenging side of uh, of sparring and, and martial arts. And you know, at that gym I met a guy named Chad Robisha who opened up Gracie Bahaba Woodlands, the gym that I own now, way back in the day, back in like 07. And it was just like a, a pretty progressive rise to what I do now. Like I didn't even plan on competing. I just trained so much. After about eight months, my coach was like, hey, why don't you compete? And I was like, coach, I don't know what that is. Sign me up. And I had done some jujitsu tournaments. I had taken a kickboxing match after about eight months of training. And I won the fight with the head kick KO and was, and was just like locked in from there. Yeah. So it was like that first big moment. Yeah. Figuring out the competition. What was it like then to like turn that switch on? Yeah, my first jujitsu competition, I was a one stripe white belt 
and was excited and nervous. I remember my mom didn't even watch. She was like so distraught, which is funny. Because <laughs> now she's like cage side screaming. Oh, out. she's in it, huh? <laughs> it helps when you've won more flights than you've lost. Yeah, yeah. First jujitsu tournament ever. I'll never forget. I grab the guy when we just start getting crazy. I end up like swinging him, taking him down, getting on top, getting reversed. And then I lose on points, dead gas. But like had the time of my life. It took me a while to actually do well in a jujitsu tournament. I could just never get the pacing down. And I just always did better kickboxing and then always did better in MMA. For, for whatever reason, it took me until like blue belt, purple belt level to really get pacing down. Fun fact, I went to the Worlds or maybe the Pan Ams, I forget, in like 2008 as a blue belt juvenile and my matchup is against Gary Tonin. Uh-huh. And he and he had beat me that round as well. But it was cool to kind of see like how we both stuck with it. Yeah. Route. He went like high level jujitsu out now doing well in MMA. But uh but it was cool. You know, I had some really fun experiences. I actually ran into Paul Walker at that tournament. Got to talk to him for like 20 minutes. The and actor? It was yeah, that was really, really cool. Wow. There was a movie he did called Running Scared. It's a pretty uh it's like not a feel-good film, but if you're into like a crying drama, it's a fantastic movie. It's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, jujitsu, I mean, really martial arts and a lot of sports are like this. Very u- unifying uh in terms of the types of people, all walks of life. Uh, like who's the actor Tom Hardy now? Like he's just on the mat in these competitions, and he's like this Hollywood star, or whatever, and he's rolling with whoever, you know. Um, so, but you mentioned something pretty interesting. You lost your first several tournaments or your first several matches. Yeah. Um, some people would lose and not be as enthusiastic. They wouldn't be as excited. Why would you lose and be excited? So this was back in 2007. There was not, and I was 16 or 17, and I was almost always going against grown-ass men, and they were just bigger and stronger. My training partners had no kids, no other teens, so uh, I was like always the underdog. I felt like I was always like behind the eight ball, and that was for me. That was that was okay. It, you know, it, the first match I won, I got matched up against some college wrestler. Who was mopping the floor with me? Took me down, passed my guard, got him out, took my back, got him out, took my back. It was like 16 to 0. And he crossed his feet. And I looked at the ref and I said, Is the ankle lock legal? And the ref gave me the green light and I figure forward my legs, blasted my hips, I tapped the guy. It was the, the worst way to win. I was so happy winning that one. And then once I caught um, a, a, a few wins that I started to to kind of fall into my own. I remember the first tournament I got gold in, it was a like a, like a teens division nogi. And I ended up like arm barring, I think the two guys. And, and once you got some success, like once I got some success, it was just like easier to win. Uh, and, and I'd say my jujitsu record for, before black belt was around 500. Like mm-hmm. I, it was like 20 and 20, but as a black belt, I've only done two competitions, but there were two sub-only matches, and I won both of those matches with subs, which was really cool. I've had a couple other sub-only matches booked, but the like UFC fights naturally always very much so took priority, so I had to, I had to pull out of a few of them. Right. And I had one booked, but the week after I fought Mickey Gall, it was like the, f- the, f- the quad tournament. 
team battles, but uh, it was crazy. I got COVID, but I had no symptoms. I like showed up, got tested, was positive, had no clue, and then had to like walk, but had to leave. It was the weirdest thing, but but I mean, it was it was it was it was no big deal. It was much better than not having to do a UFC fight. I'd have been heartbroken if I got COVID. right. I had five, yeah. five pandemic, and all five of them made it. Um, my opponents made it. I made it. I was talking to my striking coach, and I was like, hey, man, we got about a 75% chance the fight goes through. And every single fight made it, man. I was so thankful and grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's been some tough luck for other fighters where they're just out for two years, and it was like late change. They got injured, COVID. Then they make it all the way on fight day, and the last COVID test of the other guy goes out the window. Like it's, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Yeah. And it was funny. I've developed a couple of weird tendencies ever since I was a teenager. I've always had fight camps. So uh, I, I eat meat overcooked to avoid potential food poisoning. And now I prefer like medium well steaks. And, like, uh-huh. Not great. Um, and I was always uh, kind of kind of a dick to people who were sick. I'd be like, get away from me. So like at our gym, if anyone was ever anything but 100%, I would scold them hard and boot them out. And then when COVID hit, I just had to like accept that some people were going to have some funk and I had to live with it. But like, cause if I ever got like a cold, I wouldn't, I couldn't pull out of a fight. I wouldn't pull out of a fight. I would just, yeah. you know, and uh, so, yeah, so I would always eat foods overcooked. I was always a real stickler to anyone who had like a cough or some stuff. I teach kids classes. So mm-hmm. I had to deal with that a lot. And uh, just, just a few funny different things that have kind of, more if I remember one time my daughter was like coughing. I looked at her, I was like, if you're sick, you can't be near me. And my wife was like, <laughs> to her like that. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I had a fight coming up. So like everything's always revolved around these fight camps. And uh and I man, I don't I, I pulled out a one fight for legacy. I had busted my knee up pretty bad. But I don't think I've ever pulled out of a fight. I'm proud of that track record too. So oh, sure. Yeah. Why not? That should alive until I'm retired. So we didn't totally get into it, like how overweight were you? I remember you telling me a story one time and I thought you were like 75 pounds overweight and you were a gamer. Was that you? Yeah. And that's pretty accurate. Thankfully, I was always fast. I was always like fast and active. But the quote was, you told me, you said I was no athlete. No, not an athlete. Like you were like, you never played sports, but like, but would like regularly, like, you know, play like street football or something. Got it. Got it would run and do whatever but i was like i was like a, a, a pretty heavy kid but like thankfully not like dumpy just kind of like big, big like, but agile yes so yeah. I lost 50 pounds i forget now it's you been, lost how many pounds it's around 60 maybe more. 60 pounds okay yeah so i got really thin so what were you were like 250 or something i think i was a little under that because i got down to about 170 pounds Okay, so you're like 230, 220, 230. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Okay. In got, high school, though, like mid-high school, sophomore, junior year high school. Yeah, yeah. So I got like really, really thin, and then I started to like put on some muscle, which was good. So I'm about 190 pounds right now. Yeah. In good shape. So, like what was that experience? That's a big life change at that age. Yeah, I, I took on my own diet, and looking back on it now, it was terrible. But what I would, the biggest thing is I didn't eat past 5 p.m. So like I would I would get I would rush home from school I'd like find rides it was tricky because I lived like forty five minutes away from my school so to find rides 
get home and I would eat something and then like go to the gym and train. I would go home and I wouldn't eat. And I didn't like starve myself, but I would like eat dinner early. Yeah. I think most of my weight loss was from just not eating too much. So a, a form an early, you were intermittent fasting before it was in, in vogue. Uh, and like the meal I would eat would be like a, like a turkey sandwich. You know? Yeah. I, there's no telling, but I, I trained a lot. I mean, I trained as much as I could. I would show up to the gym at like 4.30, just as soon as I could get dropped off. And I would do like a five o'clock cardio kickboxing class, like a six o'clock Muay Thai class and like a seven o'clock jujitsu class. And I would just like, just do as many classes as I could in the evening. On Saturday mornings, I would get dropped off in the, in the morning and then picked up after the last class. And I just really, really enjoyed the training. And, uh, and, and then my coach would kind of take me around. I remember he took me to Sam Hoger's gym. This was back in like 2007 or 2008. And I saw some different pros and got to spar there. I remember meeting Sam Hoger at the time was pretty cool. And, uh, and it just, it just, it, I just never stopped. I mean, ever since my first day of training, I'll never forget. It was a Saturday morning. My mom like wakes me up and she's like, Hey, get your boxing gloves. I have a surprise for you. And I was like, is it a boxing gym? And sure enough, it was a boxing gym. So I go, I go to class Saturday morning, fall in love with it. And have pretty much shown up every single day to train since then. That's wild. And why, why the change? Like why when you're 230 and uh, overweight and whatever, what makes you change? What was the experience to make you change? I would like always like, I would like run around the neighborhood with my friends, but like we would go run and then go drink a monster energy drink. So like a lot of it was just like a lack of nutritional information. You know, it was just, no, it was just, you know, plus we did do like a lot of marathon gaming, which was fun. But, uh huh. Um, and, and, and we would like, I would get together with my friends and we would watch either UFC or pride fights and play poker. And then we would strap on the gloves and box. I'm sure it was the ugliest, worst looking thing ever. But like the interest was always there. I just never really had any real guidance. And then like one year for Christmas, my, my, my parents were like, do you want anything? And I was like, nah, not really. I was like, you know what? If there's a boxing gym, I would love a membership. But that's all I would ever really want. And then like sure enough, a couple weeks later, my mom had found some spot driving home from work one day. And the rest was history. Wow. So really, was it, it was getting into like organized training. Correct. It was and yeah, then... guidance and a little more specific action. Like the, the work ethic was always there, but the information was not there. Yeah. You ever reflect on what like what kind of a life change martial arts and, and combat sports brought to you? Yeah, I have no clue what I'd have been doing without it. It's been so long now. I, I really have no clue very grateful for like my wife i met at the gym all my best friends are at the gym i mean even even like my my brother max he's my eldest brother he's a genius i mean he's a self he's very wealthy he does web design and seo and as a lady starting to purchase like corporate real estate so he bought a big plot of land and constructed some big building and i rent my gym from him from there so we have this big awesome facility and just like pretty much every aspect of my life is connected through martial arts. It's allowed my like family to, to do more things. I mean, everything about it is, is great. I don't know what I'd do without it. Yeah. You know, I, I always am taken aback by um, changing who, who one is, right? Like you were a certain type of person and then you kind of completely changed, uh, you know, straightened out. To me, that the the value in that in 
first of all, into whatever you change for the better, but then what the door opens to what else you can accomplish, right? So you never thought of yourself as an athlete or competitive person or a pro fighter probably, but once you make a huge life change like that, then then every door is open. You go, well, why can't I make this change? Why couldn't I be a pro fighter? I would imagine that those decisions, those kind of dominoes would fall a lot easier because you already had made a big life change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, if, if you work hard, you can, you can do anything. I mean, re- you really can't. There's a, there's a lot of cool instances, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm just grateful that I do get to train every day. You know, my wife, she's, she's always thinking about investments and everything and it's cool. And, uh, and I'm like, I want fewer tasks. Like I want less responsibility. And even that means less money than so be it. But I'm like a pretty simple person. If I can train, then that's all I or teach. That's all I really enjoy doing. But I mean, but no, yeah, there's, you know, it, if people are like, if they want to achieve something, they can achieve it. It just takes some like genuine commitment. Yeah. Not so bad. I've read a few books on minimalism this summer, Alex. I got to tell you, it's fantastic. We like <laughs> got rid of some couches. We made our dining room table smaller. Uh, like I've gotten rid of stuff on my shelves. I'm like just much less stuff. It's there's better. a lot of there's a lot of value in that. I'll tell you. Yeah, we had moved into this house maybe like four or five years ago, and I had moved from a townhouse, and I left. I threw away so much stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, that stuff doesn't doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. No. Bigger person. If my house was on fire and like my wife and daughter and dogs were safe, I would grab my black belt and that's about it. Wow. Is that right? That's right. I've had my same black belt for like seven years. I love that thing. It's a tattered wreck, but it would take a lot for me to, to get rid of that. Yeah. That's that says something, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Going for anything in the house, it'd be a black belt. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool, man. So what did you think like when you start? So you're out of high school, you're training, uh, you're in shape. Maybe you start some competitions. Like, what did you think? If you wanted your life to be in martial arts, if you wanted that to to be how you were going to go in the world, what was the plan? That's a great question. And and I want to preface this was there was never, ever a lack of self-belief or confidence. I just had a somewhat warped perspective on the level of the UFC, I just didn't think it was attainable. It's not that I didn't think I'd get that. I just didn't think it was an option. So I would, uh, and I didn't think I would make any money teaching martial arts. Like it's so different and funny now. I just didn't know. It was just mostly from being naive. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I had, you know, I'd seen some different gyms and I had learned a lot of what not to do now, but like my gym, just for the record, we have a waiting list to sign up and it's like a big 7,000 square foot facility. We have a lot of mat space. We have more mat space than pretty much any gym I know of in Houston. And we are like packed. So, I mean, that can be a, a well done business. And, and, and it's funny because starting the waiting list was actually a, an argument, a conversation my wife and I had to have because we had too many kids and she was like, we have to, we have to slow down the kids sign up. And I was like, what if I went to the gym and they said I couldn't sign up because they were too full. Like, you see how it changed my life? I like couldn't say no to a kid training. But now for like occupancy and safety reasons, we kind of have to. But the turnover rate is there. So we actually were able to work around that. But I just didn't think making it to the UFC was an option. So like, I would like fight as an amateur. And then I won an amateur title. It was for Mick Maynard's promotion. They called it Lone Star Beatdown. That eventually uh-huh. But I won the amateur title. So the next... 
you know, logical step was to go pro. And then I fought pro for a while. And then I started headlining some legacy cards. And even, even when I was doing that, um, I just still didn't know. I'll tell you, I fought on the first Dana White looking for a fight card. I had taken a fight short notice and TKO'd the guy. And it was awesome because I fought on that card. Sage Northcutt fought on that card. Matt Schnell, Roberto Sanchez, who's no longer in the UFC, but he was on there. Uh, Ryan Spann. We were all on that card. We all won and we all got signed eventually. But I met Dana White and he was like, I don't see you on this list. And I was like, yeah, I took the fight short notice. I was like, but if not today, I'm confident one day I'll fight for you. And it was after that conversation, I was pretty sure. And then after that fight, I fought Baby Monster. I was getting, was getting uh, wrestle-effed pretty hard. Knocking <laughs> him out really bad. That's maybe my favorite memory of MMA. More than my UFC debut, even more Which than Which one? I fought Vladir Arujo, Baby Monster. Oh, okay, okay. It was main event, legacy, local, local show. I had sold a lot of tickets. And he was like laying on top of me hard for 10 minutes, for two full rounds, and the place was silent. And then the third round, I ended up landing a right hook and like slept and knocked him out viciously. And the crowd blew up. I mean, that was awesome. And, uh, and then after that, I fought for the legacy title. Yeah. And it was pretty sure I would be going to the UFC. And then it was funny, two weeks after that legacy title fight, I got a call from Joe Silva. He was still in the mix at the time. And they offered me a fight on two weeks' notice against Kyle Noak. And no one knew this at the time. My ACL was torn. My knee was blown out, but I took the fight anyway. And uh, <laughs> against all odds, I won that fight. And then I went and got my knee fixed. Wow. Yeah, like, what would you say the value is from the fact that you didn't think the UFC was attainable until it was inevitable? So that's the biggest difference between like my career trajectory and, and the guys coming up nowadays. I, I don't want to say getting to the UFC is easier, but it's definitely more clear. Um, so when I was like fighting these legacy main events, I was just testing myself as a martial artist. When I fought Baby Monster, I got twenty five hundred to show, twenty five hundred to win, and I made about five grand in sponsorship. So I made ten thousand dollars in one fight, and that blew my mind. I was so proud of that. And like I was living the bachelor life, I did not have an expensive lifestyle. So ten grand went a long way, and I just thought that was the the coolest thing. And uh, and and you know, so I just kept fighting these tough dudes. And then when they offered me the legacy title against Derek Krantz, it's a guy I had, I was an amateur, and I had gone to Louisiana for a few fights, and I had seen him knock out some grown men. Uh-huh. Derek Krantz always had like a really high place in my mindset. So fighting him was like an honor. He was the champ. I was the challenger. And it was just cool. So I was just like so happy to test myself against these tough dudes. And it made it made my UFC fights more appropriate. Like I'd already fought veterans. Whereas there are some guys, and some guys do this and do well. Some guys do this and don't do well. But they like really, I don't want to say pad the records, but they choose easier fights so they can get on a win streak and then either go to looking for a fight or go to contender series or just pick up a short notice call up. Right. Yeah, and if they do that with no with no tests, they're going to get to the UFC and they're going to fight some dogs. There's no easy fights in the UFC, and that's going to show. So I'm I'm really happy that I had some callus as a pro before I got into the octagon. Yeah. Well, it's 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 shown. I think I think your last fight against Semmelsberger was a pretty clear indication of that. Now I don't not to uh, downgrade Semmelsberger, but he was known as really hard hitter. This this athlete on the way up, whatever. How many fights does he have? I don't know. Uh, certainly not as many as you, right? Was, and and you and you just absolutely put your experience to the test. 
You know, like like it was clear you had been you'd been in there with Max Griffin, like all these guys over the past five six years, where it's like you were ready for that, you were totally ready for that. Yeah, a big aspect of that Simmelsberger fight was uh, I I think I can say it. I don't think my coach, but like the plan was to actually use my grappling if he had given me trouble on the feet, and we I wasn't sure how strong he was going to be because he's a big man. I think he's the biggest guy I've ever fought. And I assumed he would be extraordinarily strong. I always envisioned my opponents to be much bigger and much stronger than they really are. So like in the fight, when I see him, I'm like, oh, this guy's not that big. When really they're pretty big. And then when we tie up in the clinch, I was expecting to be like extraordinarily powerful. And the guys are always pretty strong, but it's never worse than I think. And I think that's a really good kind of psychological uh, trick that I can play on myself so I'm never... Um, like psyched out or not even psyched out. That would never happen. If I, I'm never surprised. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew he had a lot of power, but I didn't really get hit in that fight with the exception of that flying knee in the third round, which I can watch and admit now is pretty awesome. I didn't <laughs> really get hit with anything like at all. And the fact that I kind of like found my rhythm and really had the range on him was great. And the, the number one thing, and this, I, I, I credit this to coach safe. He said, Maroney, you better not brawl or fight with any emotion. He's like, that's the easy way out. I need you to stay disciplined and throw straight shots and just don't brawl. And I didn't. And, man, I had, that was some excellent results in that fight. Yeah, that was a good one. Semmelsberger, I still think, is on the way up. Like, he's a good fighter. He's 14 fights into his career, I think. But uh, you, uh, that was very clearly noticeable. Like, you put your experience and grit to work. And the the fact that you'd been in there with somebody like him and weren't weren't afraid of it, um, the fear thing. I've I've talked to Safe. You mentioned Safe Saud, who's in your corner, um, and I said, "What's up with Morono?" Like, kind of like before one of your fights, just doing a little homework or whatever. And I said, "What do you like about Alex?" And he says, "No fear." It's like this guy has no fear. Um, that's to be commendable. Number one, but number two, where does it come from? Where does the lack of fear come from? I don't know. Um, I always had a good mindset for fighting. And it's one of those things, like, no one made me do this. And so uh, one of my fighters, Jake Heffernan, he's actually fighting for Fury November 6th. He's 9-3 and three as a pro. He is a, a fight away from the UFC. He's good, too. But one time, he was cutting weight, and he was being all grouchy and mean to everyone. And he was like, he's one of my assistant coaches, one of my coaches at the gym. And I was like, Jake, no one is making you do this. You cut this shit out right now. And he was like, oh, you're right. Okay. And I was like, this is a privilege that we get to do this. And so long story short is like, I sign up to do this. No one makes me do it. This is my choice to choose to do something and then regret it is to me foolish. And like, I'm not saying to not show fear. Um, when I fight, I get more than anything like excited. Um, also cautious, but I wouldn't say nervous. Or and by no means like afraid, but the caution has to be there. I had one fight in Legacy, and it's the only time that I was able to stomach the nerves. I effectively eliminated the nerves that I went there just like ready to kill. And I, I was so not nervous, not cautious that I actually ended up getting finished in that fight. And I was doing a good job, but I just came in too recklessly and got clipped. It was a bit of an early stoppage, whatever. Lost the fight. And then the fight after that, I had fought a guy with an upside down record. A fight I would have been like a minus 2,000 favorite to win. Uh-huh. But I was more nervous for that fight than any other fight. And I 
destroyed the guy, dismantled him. I landed like 36 strikes to zero for like a 45-second insta-TKO. It was brutal. Low kicks, high kicks, knees. I mean, the guy was beat up. And, uh, and then after that fight, I learned how to weaponize the nerves. And now before all of my guys fight, I give them a pretty similar speech. I'm like, hey, guys, these nerves are a, a weapon that our brain produces so we can thrive in a high-stress scenario. Do not hide these nerves. Embrace the nerves. Like what you're feeling is good. Use them as a weapon. And that always seems to like almost calm the nerves and allow them to feel those feelings without the feeling of dread because that's there. My last amateur fight fighting for the title, I was at the Houston Arena Theater, notoriously small warm-up rooms, and I was hitting pads. And there was a guy who had just fought a few fights before me, and he was like on the ground moaning and vomiting in a trash can. He had a pretty bad concussion. And I'm like 19 years old, looking at my striking coach, looking at this dude on the ground moaning, and I'm like, what did I sign up for? Yeah. All right, this is the last fight I'll ever do. And sure enough, I do the walk, I do the fight, have a blast, win the fight, take very little damage, and was like, okay, that was the last time I was like truly nervous for a fight. And then there was the one pro, I wasn't nervous at all and lost, and I was really nervous and won. And I, you know, after 20 fights or so, I finally got a really good, you know, grasp on how to manage the the psychological aspect. Plus. I've been in fights before. I've won by knock and I've lost by knock and I've won decisions. I've lost decisions. I've won by submissions. Never been so. But like, it's never that bad. Like losing sucks. Like I never ever plan on losing. That's the worst, absolute worst. Like day of your life, day of my life is losing fights. But like, but you don't die. You know, it's you come back from it. It's it's not. It's it's like nothing to fear because it's it's nothing you can't handle. So. I don't know, but there's there's this. I I am given the green light to brawl if I'm ever down two rounds going into the third round. Now, I yeah. hope you experience that. But I'll tell you, man, if that day comes, prepare to see some freaking crazy, crazy punch because I long for those moments. Oh man, I don't know if there's a better stopping point than that. Alex Morono talking about his lack of fear and how he developed it. And we started the interview with him talking about how much he loves the psychological aspect, flexing that mental muscle of getting in a fight, right? Getting ready for sparring, getting ready for the big stage. It's something that he truly loves. And uh, not all fighters do. Not all fighters love that aspect of it. They actually hate that aspect of it. Uh, Morono is one of those martial artists and mixed martial artists where that battle is as important to him and as meaningful to him as the physical combat that he's about to engage in. Hope you liked that uh, interview, that episode of Fitz Nation. Uh, Appreciate all the support here. I'm happy to be back. I'm hoping to crank out the interviews for the rest of the year. What happens is... Uh, when the UFC schedule gets pretty busy, then I just got to kind of take a couple weeks off, come back strong. Uh, contender series is always a challenge. I had a stretch in there where I went like Tuesday contender series, Saturday called a play-by-play for a UFC, and then back at it on Tuesday. We had Bo Nickel. Hopefully I'll get him on the show at some point. A uh, bright young man. Did a little YouTube video with him that was about four minutes if you want to 
check that out and some other my mini interviews just check out my youtube channel and uh check me out on social media at brendan fitz tv instagram twitter tiktok all the good stuff or just tune in to these long form interviews right here on fitz nation in podcast form hope you are happy healthy uh hope things are going your way if not keep your chin up keep grinding that's what uh part of this show is about and I will talk to you next time on Fitz Nation. We got Benil Dariush getting ready for Abu Dhabi. That one's already in the can. That's coming to you next week. Thanks as always. Talk to you soon. <laughs>